Good morning. You guys look lovely today. Nice and refreshed, ready for a word from the Lord. Amen? Yeah, that's where we're at today. Let us go to the book of Ephesians. As you know, we've been just, uh, just going right along. Ephesians chapter 2. We are in verses 11. And I thought for sure we'd get up to verse 18, but I think we need to make a, just a little pit stop here to remember. I, I was looking at this. I've read it many times. I've seen it uh, over and over again. And uh, just something just jumped out at me this morning. I go, you know, I think we need to remember. Uh, just remember. And, and, and it's, you'll see that in verse 11. He says, therefore, remember. And then in verse 12, he says, okay, remember. So he says it twice. And because he says remember twice, I think that we ought to at least stop and pause. Okay, why is he looking at us and telling us and showing us and, and asking us to remember? I think for the most part, most of us don't even want to remember our past. You know, that's the last thing we want to be reminded of. If, if I were to share with you my wicked past, it was, it was a drug-induced, alcoholic binging forth type of night every every weekend every night it seemed like and I was in one of those places yeah I mean some of us can can relate to that and some of us can't you know I, I understand that you know but but I I recognize and uh, and I know that when the Lord Jesus Christ got a hold of my life and changed it from the inside out all of that was gone I didn't take a 12-step program to get me changed it just took one step and uh, it was like boom I says okay uh, it was and, and to go back there to remember, I, I'm, it's not what I, I want to do. But, but here Paul is telling us, because if you remember last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you were dead. He's already reminding us. And, and what Paul is doing here is he's setting, up, he's setting up this body of believers that Jesus Christ died for. This is why it is so important for you to belong to the body of Christ. Because I'm forgiven and I'm accepted. He was condemned and rejected and he was murdered and he died on a cross. But it doesn't end there. He rose again and we know that he's coming back. And, and it's this king of glory that, that chose me, that follows me, that pursues me with his love. And reminds me and haunts me with everything that's behind me. And reminds me of my past and, and reminds me and to help me remember to move forward. It's interesting because Moses would tell the Israelites, remember, you were slaves. Remember how you had it in Egypt. Remember. And they go, yeah, but. And aren't we full of a lot of yeah, buts? Yeah, but if I had more, if I had manna, if I had quail, if I had, you know, whatever the case may be, if I had a, a bigger house or a pool or whatever the case may be, if I, if I, only if I. And, and so in the whole process of this, we are reminded that Jesus Christ died on the cross, not just to leave us out there by ourselves. Not saying that the power of the Holy Spirit would not empower you, and He does. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is going to forget you, well, He won't. But you need to be in the body of Christ. And you need to be in the body of Christ in not only the universal body of Christ, but next week I'm going to at least share with you some reasons from Scripture as to why you need to belong to a local body of Christ, committed to a local body of Christ. And what Paul is doing, he's setting this up, he says, you know, you were dead at one time. You were aliens. You were foreigners. You were not citizens. You were without hope. You were dead to your trespasses. 
The common theme for evangelism is like this. You're drowning in the sea. And you're drowning and you're going down for the last count. And therefore lies a savior. And what this savior does is he casts out his saving flotation device. You have a life-saving flotation device. And now it's up to you to reach out and grab it and be saved. And therefore salvation comes to you because you reached out and you were saved. But see, Paul doesn't see it that way. He says, you were dead. The analogy that I can use for that is, you were not only drowning, but you drowned. And you're at the bottom of the ocean, the furthest depth that you can ever go. And many of us, we remember that depth and thought, never, ever could I ever come out of that depth, that slime, that pit that I was in. Never, ever did I ever think that I could ever get out of that. I tried changing myself. As a matter of fact, we went to a couple of churches. Uh, every once in a while, we'd go to a, uh, try to find a place that we can fit in. One of the first churches that we went to was a little tiny country church. And it was probably about this size, but it was all wooden floors, all wooden benches. You know, and it was, when you walked in, everybody you were coming in, and turn around like You walk in again, okay, you'd sit down, the whole, t- the whole bench would go, and, you know, my kids, they were just little, you know, and we'd take little cars for them so they can play because they didn't have a Sunday school there. And, and they're rolling them on the benches. And everybody's looking back. And everyone, what? who are these guys? We're just, I'm sorry. We're sorry to disturb you. We won't come back. And we didn't. So we tried a big church, a huge church. It was just awesome. My kids were afraid of the Sunday school. They didn't understand the whole process of it. We didn't understand it. And it was just huge. And, and though we felt comfortable and everything else, but we didn't actually feel welcomed. It was, it was the strangest thing. And so we went from church to church and looking for a place to fit in. And, you know, unfortunately, like I said, I, I was a, I'm still a vile, wicked sinner. I mean, I was even back then even worse off. But now I'm saved by the grace of God. And, you know, my wife and I weren't technically married. And we were living in sin. And, and I, 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 I want you to know that I used to say she was my fiance. But we all know that all we were doing is fornicating. I would say that, you know, this is just temporary. But we know that that was just the sin that I was in. People call it a lifestyle, but it's just a big lie. People say, you know, nobody knows, but God knows. And, and, and so in this whole process of trying to reconcile myself to God, I was dead. I was dead in my trespasses until I came to a church that, that the pastor understood. He says, you need to be born again. How do I do that? Well, you have to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Yeah, but it's too late for me, Pastor. Uh, You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the places I've been. You don't know the things I've seen. I mean, the only place that I'm going to is hell. I know that. And he says, no. And he shared this one verse with me. By grace that you're saved through faith. You're not going to be able to get it done by yourself. That was over 33 years ago. Never did I imagine my life to turn out the way it did. I thought for sure it was just a matter of time before I was dead. And the gospel message is proclaimed to dead people. You cannot save yourself. You are in this depth of ocean, dying, falling into the, uh, sinking into the ocean, and you're at the bottom of the ocean, and God himself has to dive down in there and grab you and pull you out and give you the life. And he gives you life because that's who God is. I was dead. You were dead. 
And until we come to that understanding of how dead we were, we'll never understand the grace of God. I didn't deserve it. There's nothing I can do to work for it. I couldn't even reach for it. I was dead. And Paul is saying, remember. And then he says again, remember how you used to be. And he's setting us up in the next few verses, as we'll see here pretty soon, that we are all part of the household of God and that we need to belong to the household of God. And as I mentioned, I will bring that out here in the, uh, the next couple of weeks, next week and the, ne- and the following. And, and, and so as we are developing our membership, we're developing our members in the body. You see, the Bible says that you are members of a body. You cannot be a, a, a body member of a any kind of a limb, you cannot be any type of an organ outside of a body. You might believe that you have the gift, the spiritual gift of, of teaching or of whatever the case may be, but you got to put it to work inside of a body to edify the body. And this is not just a you know, parts type of body. This is a body that Jesus Christ died for. But Paul says, you, here's, the, here's the reason. And before he does that, he says, okay, remember, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses, dead in your sins, dead to the world, dead to the, and you, were, you followed the course of this world. And when I was following the course of this world, it felt good. I was happy with it. But God was working on my heart, and he was pulling me back, and I felt okay. And, and I used to walk following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. I was a son of disobedience. I cursed God. I hated God. I didn't want anything to do with God. Though I said there was a God, I know there's a God. And, you know, when I get to heaven, maybe he'll let me in. But it came to a point in my life where I realized, you know what, I'm not getting in somehow. But it was the grace of God that came to me. And then in verse 11, look at this with me. I'm going to take it step by step. Verse 11 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and in body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Father in heaven, thank you once again for killing that hostility that we had, or that I had, with others and with you. I was an alien. I wasn't part of your citizenship. I was totally separated from you. I followed the course of this world. I understood that that was my, just where I was supposed to be, my lot in life. Never did I imagine myself as a child of God. I always understood myself as a child of disobedience. And so, Father, I just thank you that you've saved this sinner. And that every day I strive to get closer and know you even more so. Father, I pray that this morning as those that are hearing this message here and uh, throughout this, the land and those that are tuning in, I pray, God, that you help us to see that each one of us have to remember where we were. And if it's hard to remember, maybe we'll, we're still there. 
I pray for those that are deceived and deceptive, uh, and they're being deceptive of, of the things that they believe that they're Christians. They, they go to church. I pray, God, for those that their eyes have been closed to your word. Your word is clear, Father, and I pray that you just lead us in all things. Thank you once again, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At one time, at one time, Paul says, you see, we were, number one, at that time in the flesh. We were in the flesh. And when we talk about the flesh, we've talked about this quite a bit, especially when we were going through Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and on, Paul says, But I say, walk in the Spirit. He's talking to believers. He's talking to those that have committed their life to Christ. The problem is that we can walk in the Spirit, but our flesh tends to carry us along the, the path that seems to feel good. My flesh craves certain things. Like, for instance, if, if, you're, if you like to eat donuts and if you like to eat sugar and if you like to eat all those things, guess what? Your body's going to crave it. If you try to cut it off, your body's going to have an adverse effect. I don't know how many of you guys are addicted to coffee as I am, uh, you know, but have you, have you ever tried to stop drinking coffee for a day or two? What happens? You get headaches. I get, I, I, well, I used to get absolutely just nauseous and throw up and if I didn't have my fix of caffeine. Thank God that uh, after COVID, I, that's one of the things that I just stopped drinking as much. I would drink maybe one or two pots a day. Now, I, yeah, I used to drink a lot. I had coffee pots in my office, coffee pot in the, 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 the secretary's office. I'd stop at Starbucks on the way in. And, you know, I was just, just downing them like they were going out of, crazy, out of style, you know. But I was... I came to that point after COVID, I can only have one cup of coffee a day. Now I have two. And I think I'm starting to get a little more addicted because sometimes I have three. No, I'm just going to stop it there at two. I'll have one in the morning and maybe one during midday, but that's about it. And, and my body used to go through this shock. And the same thing happens when your flesh is craving the world. Your body is going into shock. And it's going into the spiritual shock that you have been inundated by this world. And it's, it's like you have to do this and you're drawn to it and you can't break that habit. Only way that you can do this, and we'll see here in just a bit, but Jesus Christ, if you remember last week, but God who is rich in mercy, but God, we shared those words with you last week, we're going to share them again with you this week, but God, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us because God is full of mercy and he gives us grace. Not because I deserve it. Grace, by definition, is undeserved. You cannot deserve grace. And this flesh, and Paul is saying, but I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or of the flesh. The flesh wants the, this world. And the problem is, is that we're walking in this world and we're walking in this flesh. This is why he says, walk. Do everything you can to comport yourself, to fill yourself in the Spirit. Because when you're walking in the Spirit, you will not satisfy or, or be, or be uh, desiring the, the, the flesh. You will not desire the flesh. But when you're in the flesh, you're not going to be desiring the Spirit. It's, it's counterintuitive. You cannot do both things at one time. It's either one or the other. And so we have started some discipleship classes on Wednesday nights. And Wednesday night Bible studies have been coming come along really good, right? Can I hear an amen from those who are in there? Amen. 
Yeah. And it's, it's a good class. We're really enjoying it. And on Saturdays, we're going to start a men's Bible study in uh, October the 2nd. Now, October the 2nd, it has to be, it's only an hour long. It's going to be from 8 to 9. On that morning, there's a funeral going to be here at 11. So if you'd like to come at 8 o'clock in the morning, Bible study. Okay, we'll have coffee. We're not going to do pancakes. We're not, you know, I've had men's Bible studies before where we just focus on the food. I mean, if we want to have food, we'll do it beforehand. Or you guys can do it afterward. But we want to focus on Bible study. And we're going to focus on 1 John. And, and John has just got some great stuff about who we are as men and what we should be doing as men and not doing as Christian men. But, you know, again, it's just another way of growing in the Word. And if you can make it, great. October the 2nd, uh, the next Saturday, we'll have to cut it short. I have to be out of town, but I'm going to come in, do the Bible study, boom, go on out, and so on and so forth. Okay, Ken, I saw Ken looking at me. What, every Saturday from this point? I thought we had something going. We do. I'm still there. I'm still there. However... I want to get this study started for us because it's a way to grow. We want to develop a women's study as well. And that would be something my wife would lead. We have something for the children. We'd love to get a youth group going as well, right? Chloe, we need a youth group. <laughs> and uh, okay, she says, don't put me into this. I'm just sitting here listening. <laughs> don't get me involved. But we do. We need, we need something for the youth on Friday night so that they can grow as well. Because the more you know of the Word of God, that's what the Spirit of God uses. He uses His Word. That's why I have hidden His Word in my heart that I may not sin against Him. Psalms 119.11. That's why it is that I need to walk in the Spirit so that I will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature or of the flesh, as the English uh, Standard Version would put it. And, but we were at that time in totally in the flesh. And everything felt good. We had no qualms about anything. Nothing seemed to be away from us. And, and it was nothing was, was denied us. And we just did whatever it is that we felt like doing. Because that's the flesh. That's what we desired to do. And we would spend our time. We would spend our money. We would do whatever it is in the same manner that we do with coffee or candies or whatever the case may be. And some of us have gone through drug-induced lives, alcohol-filled lives. And so Paul is saying, remember, you used to be back there. And as a matter of fact, in 1 John 2, he says, for all, we talked about this last week, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The more that we function underneath the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and His Word, the more we can navigate through this world that, has, that shows us and puts out in front of us desires for our flesh, desires of things that we can see, of this pride that we have a life. Ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. You got, I ain't got a problem. The only problem I got is you telling me what I, that I have a problem. You're the one with the problem was always my response. No problem. I drink, I fall down, I get back up again. No problem. And we walk through life. And what, this is one of the verses I will look at when we go through 1 John. And I, I just want to warn you ahead of time. This is not for the faint of heart, okay? Be ready to get smacked upside the head with a 2 by 4 John does that really good. Uh, and it, it's just like, that's all I'm going to say. Number two, we were at that time without Christ. We were at that time without Christ. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, I hear so many people telling me, you know, well, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Why? Well, because I go to church. Yeah, I go to heaven because, you know, that, that's, 
you know, I, I believe in God. Yeah, I go to heaven because, you know, I was baptized. Yeah, I go to heaven because I, I confessed my sins one time. And I came forward, raised my hand. Yeah, I go to heaven. Yeah, I'm going to heaven because, you know, I, I, I'm pretty good. You know, I'm not that bad. You, you know, and, and the problem is, is that, well, that's not a prerequisite for heaven. John tells us in the Gospel of John that Jesus said, you know, here's, here's the qualification for heaven. Before you can see the kingdom of God, you must not, you know, try to be. You must not, you know, I'm suggesting that you become. He says you must be born again, plain and simple. And John doesn't leave us alone. He'll show us what the evidence is in 1 John. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. And whatever you're rooted in is the, what you're going to produce. The fruit comes out of the root. And whatever comes out of your mouth is what's inside your heart. Whatever comes out of your lifestyle and what you do, I don't care how much you say you're a Christian. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I don't care how many times you've come forward and raised your hand and did the sinner's prayer. If your life is not changed, beloved, you're going to hell. You're deceiving yourself. If your life doesn't change, you are doomed and a part of God's wrath at the end. Your life must reflect who you are. And one of the best ways to describe that, at least in my case, I want you to know that, you know, I think that I can protect my family pretty well. And I've done just about as many things as I could to protect my family. And I will do whatever it takes. But I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that the moment something happens where, say, for instance, we're under attack, you know, and even though I may have weapons and knives and whatever the case may be, I will be powering I will be hiding and trying to hide my family, and I'll do the best I can. But a combat veteran that has been in the midst of it, he'll know exactly what to do. I'm going behind that guy. <laughs> I'm finding one in my neighborhood. I'm going right behind him. You help, help me to do what it is that I need to do. Though I may intellectually know, though I've already practiced and I've already set it up, I know that I am going to just faint with fear and, sh and do what I can. And in the same way, many of you understand that you, you, you probably can cook, but to be a chef, that somebody is willing to pay extra money? There's a, there's a difference between saying, well, I can YouTube that and do it by actually doing it. I can YouTube all kinds of things, but it doesn't make me a professional. See, it's not what you profess, it's what you possess. And what you possess is what you're going to be able to profess. And when you possess the power of the Holy Spirit, you're able to stand in the midst of anything and walk in the Spirit. Because now you have Jesus Christ. Paul says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You had no power. You had nothing about you, nothing to save you. Alienated from the commonwealth. We'll talk about that here in just a bit. And you were dead in your trespasses, as we saw Paul say in, in Ephesians chapter 2. Jesus gives this beautiful parable. Actually, there's three of them. There's three parables that Jesus gives. And as he's given these parables of the lost coin, the lost uh, lamb, and, and the lost son. And, and in every parable, he's talking about lostness and being found. You have no idea of what it means to be lost until you're found. And the widow that lost her coin, she rejoiced, and everybody rejoiced, and heaven rejoiced, because she found her one coin. 
The lamb that was lost. The shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the one that keeps the pen together. And if they're out in the field somewhere, he finds himself a place that he can, you know, build this makeshift fence. And like Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. And for a shepherd, he understood this because out in the midst, the door was himself. He would lay across the door to keep the sheep in and protect anything that to get in, get in and keep it out. And he would lay and he was the door. And Jesus says, I am the door. Sometimes when we see that, we think of this kind of door. No, he was the shepherd door. And this one sheep, as they were all coming in, he says, I found one lost. There was only 99. And I found that one of them was lost. And he goes out and he looks for it. And he doesn't stop until he brings it. And when he brings it back, everybody's rejoicing. And heaven rejoices with one sheep that was brought back with one sinner. The parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal is a very archaic word. Prodigal basically means wasted. It doesn't mean lost. You know, we say that every once in a while. Well, the prodigal son returns. You know, the lost or dis. You know, prodigal means wasted. Do you guys remember that? I don't know if you guys remember wasted days and wasted nights. Freddie Fender. Okay, I just got a bunch of yeah. I just dated myself and yourself as well. You could actually see that prodigal days and prodigal nights. That's what that word prodigal means. He wasn't just lost. He was wasted. He was gone. As a matter of fact. In the story, Jesus says, my son, my son, he says, for this, my son was dead, dead to this world, dead to me, and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. God found him. God showed him that he needed to return, to repent and return. We were at that time without Christ. Number three, we were at that time without citizenship. It's interesting, the ESV uses a very interesting word, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the, and strangers. And we were alienated and without any type of commonwealth of citizenship, had no country to call his own. No country to say that, you know, I belong to this country, I belong to that country. We, we didn't belong anywhere but this world. You see, what, what God had done is he called Israel together and he says, I'm going to choose this nation. But they weren't a nation yet. It was just one man. And this one man, Abraham, he says, actually, his name was Abram. Abram, <clears throat> which means exalted father. Abram, I'm going to make you a nation. And you're going to have a lot of children. And he says, if I, and to promise, my promise is going to be sealed in this covenant that we have together that I'm making with you. I'm going to change your name from exalted father, Abram, to father of many, Abraham. And here he is, over 90 years old, almost 100. He'd walk around and say, what's your name? They'd tell him, what's your name? My name's, well, father of many. How many kids you got? None. Okay, how are you doing that? By the miracle of God. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation so that you can bless the world. They didn't get it. They didn't get the blessing that they were supposed to be. As a matter of fact, their... Uh, Connection to God and their desire for God was only for themselves and not for anyone else. You see, Paul right now is talking to Gentiles. And Gentiles are anything but Jewish. There's, for the Jewish person, there's the Jewish nation and everybody else. And so anybody that didn't belong to the Jewish nation. And God set them apart and he made them a very peculiar people. He set them apart, made them a very a holy people. A people that was to themselves different. They had 
different laws on what they can eat, what they can't eat, different uh, physical laws, things that they needed to do to themselves, like circumcision to prove that they were Jewish. They had very peculiar uh, holidays and festivals that they themselves would celebrate. People would say, what is that? They, they, they had all these various, they made them peculiar. They could only marry within themselves. And they were nothing like the rest of the world. Very peculiar. And they were pulled aside, set aside, set apart. They were holy, set apart so that they could be a witness to the world. A blessing. For those who bless you, Abraham, I will bless. For those who curse you, I will curse. Now get out there and do this. And Abraham got it, but the children didn't. They hated Gentiles. They would go all the way around of a Gentile. As a matter of fact, if the wind was blowing this way, they would go around this way so that they wouldn't get any of their odor or dust. If they would walk through a city full of Gentiles, they'd get outside the city and they'd symbolically shake their feet and say, okay, thank God I'm not one of them. Gentiles to the Jewish people, people like you and I, were created merely to stoke the fires of hell. You know, hell's got to burn somehow, so that's why God created all these Gentiles. He's going to throw them in there one at a time. Keep the fire burning. And that's who we were to them. Gentiles will not, will not be allowed into the, the service of the temple. As a matter of fact, they were looked upon as, as one of the most disgusting type of barbarians in the country because God, God's people were holy. Around the temple, they had what was called this, this courtyard or this like, like a breezeway, kind of like this. And, and they can come in, but that's as far as they can go. And then there was another breezeway inside, and it was another quarter all the way around the temple, which was a little, the walls were a little bit higher, and it was just for the women. And then there was another breezeway just for the, the Jewish people, and, and, and those that were in the, Then there was the Holy of Holies, which was right in the center. And what they forgot to do, or they weren't willing to do, was to share and open up. To them, it was they were trying to keep everybody out. And God is saying, no, you're supposed to bring everybody in. I'm going to raise me a nation. As a matter of fact, in, um, in Colossians chapter 1, it says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you were separated from Christ. Isaiah 65.1 says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. Now get this. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. From the very beginning, all the way back, 800 years before Jesus Christ, God was already calling a nation to himself that wasn't called by his name. It wasn't just the Jewish nation. He's calling everybody together. And as we get into the book of Ephesians a little bit further, we'll find out that Paul says, and this mystery that the Gentiles and the Jews are supposed to come together, and we're going to talk a little bit more about social justice next week because this social justice is not biblical. We are to be one united body, not separate bodies. You know, and, and well, again, I'll get into it a little bit more next week. But this, this whole idea of, of being angry and upset, Jewish people, Jesus and his disciples, they're coming down and they're going through a place called Samaria. Samaria was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And so they weren't purebred. And so people hated the Samaritans. They hated them more than they did the Gentiles. Because, number one, they were half-breeds. But it wasn't, I, and I don't want to say it, was, it wasn't because of their fault, but when the people in Jerusalem were conquered, they were taken away into exile, a pure nation. 
and they stayed pure where they were at. They were allowed to live and allowed to work and allowed to marry and whatever, you know, and, and they stayed pure. Those that were left behind, the, the, the old, the weak, the disabled, that they couldn't work, because they only took the, the strong people. Those got overrun and conquered by the nations around them, and they intermarried. When the Jews came back, there was a bunch of Samaritans, and now there were a bunch of Jews, and they hated these Samaritans. This was a passionate hate. They would go around the city. They would even travel through there. They would, you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? It's a very, very important racial parable that Jesus makes. He's trying to get across that, look, we're all one. This Samaritan that you're supposed to hate, he's supposed to hate you. He helped the traveling Jew. Put him on his donkey. Took him to the inn and cared for him and provided for him. And what God has done at that time, we were citizens. We were not citizens without citizenship. Now we are grafted in into God's family. And, and as we start to realize the importance of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, we recognize that this is, this is more than we can ever think or imagine. Number four, in the back of your outlines, we were at that time without a covenant. We were at that time without a covenant. The covenant that God had made, well, of course, we know that the first covenant was with, um, with Moses. Actually, it was the, the, the covenant with Noah. I will never flood this world again. Then he made a covenant with Moses, a Palestinian covenant. He made a Davidic covenant. And, and then he makes a new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What Jeremiah is talking about is there's going to be a time when this covenant is no longer a written covenant, but it's a covenant within the heart. Jesus Christ modeled that. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is what? The new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Two things that it does. Well, three, actually. We, we participate in it because it's a covenant that Jesus Christ commanded us to do. So we're following his commandment. Do this. He didn't suggest, well, if you feel like it. No, do it in remembrance of me. We remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We remember what took place on the cross. But also, Paul goes on to say, you continue to do this until the day of the Lord. It takes us to the past and also shoots us to the future, to the day that we'll meet the Lord. And so what Paul is saying here when he says, you know, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Number five, we were at that time without hope. We were at that time without hope. There is, there is a survival. It's, it's like a, a rule or the survival rule of threes, I believe it is. You can live three days without food. Uh, I'm sorry, you can live three weeks without food. You can live three days without water. You can live three minutes without air, but you cannot live three seconds without hope. And if you, under extreme situations, and of course that varies upon a person and their, their health and all that, but, but this survival uh, rule of threes, if you remember it, you can see that you know, in three weeks, you know, we pretty much are depleted. 
in, uh, in, in three minutes, you know, we, if we're not with it, we're there, we're, we're technically brain dead. And three seconds, beloved, you cannot live a second without hope. And I believe that many of you here today have some kind of hope. Some of you have learned how to base your life on this hope. And this is not a hope that we're saying, you know, well, I, I, I wish type of a hope. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping it happens. No, when the Bible talks about hope, it's an expectation. It's a faith-filled hope. See, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, when he's talking about the rapture, he's talking about when Jesus Christ returns. And when he returns, we are going to meet him in midair. He's not going to place his foot on the planet. He'll, we'll meet him in midair. And this rapture, and I know we've had some debate because the word rapture itself is not in the Bible. It isn't. This is harpazo, the word harpazo for being caught up. And the, the Greek harpazo doesn't even sound like rapture. But when the Latins translated the word harpazo, they, they translated it into rapturo. And rapturo is very similar to our, our Spanish language or Spanish word is rapido. And we get the word rapid. And he, we are caught up rapidly in this rapture. We are brought up. And some say, well, you know, it's not biblical. Well, Elijah was caught up in midair. You know, as a matter of fact, Enoch walked with God, and then one day Enoch was not. He was, Hebrews would tell us that he was caught up. And so this catching up uh, doctrine, this rapture doctrine, is a doctrine that is going to happen one day. The, the one thing that we are certain of about the rapture, number one, is that, well, first of all, there are signs for the rapture. The rapture, when we get caught up, and we get taken up with Jesus Christ. According to the way I've read scriptures, and there's some differing thoughts about this as well, but the, when we get caught up in heaven, into heaven, we'll be with him for seven years during the tribulation time. And during that tribulation time, we will be with him. And after the tribulation, that's when he comes down and places his foot on the planet and establishes his kingdom. He'll be on a white horse. He'll be on a white horse in Revelation 19, and we will be with him, those that are, are caught up with him. And so everything in the book of Revelation, everything in Matthew 24, everything in Luke and Ezekiel and all these prophecies of the end time, they all point to the end time. We don't have any signs for the rapture. As a matter of fact, the rapture is a sign. It'll just happen. And if you've noticed of anything that's been going on lately, we know that it's about to take place. And Paul says, he's telling them, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. I, I want you to know that, you know, what if they died and they're going to miss the rapture? Oh, no, no, it doesn't work that way, he says. I, I want you to know something. I know that there are a lot of people that are, that are without hope. They're, they're worried about what's going to happen. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. What a beautiful term for death. That you may not grieve as others do who have no I don't know if you've ever met a non-believer or a Christian that has lost a loved one and they just have no hope and they cry and they know. I mean, it's, it's natural to cry and miss your loved one, you know, and, and if, if I go, I, I pray that you do cry, you know, if not, I'm going to come back and haunt you. No, I pray that you have this, you know, you have this feeling for those that you love and, and yes, that missing, but you have hope that you'll see them again. You have this hope that they will be in, in heaven because of their commitment to Christ. But there's people out there that have no hope. 
that have no hope as to what's going to happen next. They don't even know what's going to happen next. And they, they have no hope. And that's what Paul says. There's a lot of them that don't have this hope. But, Paul, but the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That's what faith is. We walk by faith and not by sight. Those things that we anticipate because the Bible is true. The Bible gives us truth. The Bible shows us truth. The Bible walks us through truth. And we know that the Bible is true because of everything that's already been fulfilled in the past. And all we're seeing is all the other things just starting to unroll right now. And all the evidence that the Bible has in everything, the external evidence, the internal evidence. And the students that have been going through my class in the fundamentals of the faith, they'll, they'll share with you what they've learned on how we know that the, this word that we have is true. It's been proven. It's been, it's been documented. We have manuscripts, more manuscripts than you can ever think or imagine, more than what they have for some of these philosophers. The Bible stands the test of time. And it says, now, here, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the last thing I want to share with you is this. We were at that time without God. We were at that time without God. Later on in Ephesians chapter 4, the verse 18, it says here, they are darkened in their understanding. And he's talking about the unregenerated. He's talking about those that have not been born again. He's talking about those that will not submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They are darkened in their understanding. The, the, the understanding that you have because you have the Word of God, the understanding that you know that you're saved, the understanding that you know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, the understanding that you know that you have this power within you, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit within you, this understanding of what the Word of God says and how it comes to life in you, this understanding of what God's Word not only says to you but means to you and that you live by. Most of the world can't understand that. They don't want to understand it because it goes contrary to their thought process. It goes contrary to what the world has to say. It, it, it goes contrary to the, word of the, to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, the desires of my flesh. And, and if, it's not, if it's not going to please me, then I don't want to hear it. And in spite of what anybody else might say, the Word of God is what we base our life on. And so they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Not that they're stupid. Not that they're not educated. It's an ignorance, a willful ignorance. And those that say there is no God, and those that don't want anything to do with God. You know, I love God, but don't tell me what to do. You know, I love God, and I read His Word, but I ain't going to church. That doesn't work out that way, beloved. You love God and you want to be in church because this is where we're gathered together to grow together and learn together. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. The heart gets hardened every time you hear the gospel message. And the gospel message is not asking you, is not pleading with you, is not suggesting that you commit your life to Christ. Jesus Christ isn't knocking at your door. As some evangelists would say, Jesus Christ is not knocking on your door. I don't know. Can you turn this off for just a moment? Let me, let me do that.
Jesus Christ is not knocking on your door, as Revelation 3.20 would say. He's knocking on the door of the church. As he knocks on the door of the church, he wants to have fellowship. This church has lost its first love. And they don't want to let Jesus Christ come back in. It's like this one biker dude that came to a church one time. He comes in in his chains and his vest and sleeveless tats and everything else. You know, kind of, well, you know, bikers. I know bikers. He walks in, he sits down, and the pastor's kind of looking at him and says, all right, and preaches a sermon. And then he, after the sermon, he goes up to the biker and says, okay, I want you to do something for me, sir. He says, next time you come to this church, I want you to ask God what you should be wearing when you come to this church. All right, sure, pastor. So the next Sunday, the guy walks in, boots again, chain, you know, torn off T-shirt and vest and everything on. The pastor was mad. He says, did I ask you to go and talk to God and ask him what you needed to wear when you came to this church? And he says, well, well, yeah, I did. But he said he'd never been here before. Okay. Again, I waited all week to share that one with you. God needs to be present within the fellowship. And when God is not present, there is no fellowship. It just becomes a social program. It just becomes a, 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 t- a type of a community event. It just becomes a time to be able to, to well, to feel good and, and thank everyone and, you know, applaud everybody for their, their greatness and the things that they've done, for the donations that have been given. It's a time of just, again, it's a community event. But when we gather in the name of Jesus, he is there. And he encourages us, he builds us up, and he uses your spiritual gifts for the body of Christ. And when we hear the gospel message, and when we reject the gospel message, it hardens our heart just a little bit more. And it hardens our heart, and it hardens the heart. And the more that we hear it and we don't respond to it, it's difficult to respond and say, Okay, Lord, we don't repent. And it's harder to reach a person within church that hasn't committed their life to Christ than it is a vile, wicked sinner like myself. You see, in verses 13 and 14, once again, but, I love that word. Okay, now we're going we're gonna to shift gears a little bit. See, this is what you were. You know, you were without Christ. You had no citizenship. You didn't have a covenant, a promise, anything. You know, you were without hope and without God, but now in Christ Jesus. But now you have this ability. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He's made peace between you and God. Jesus Christ has made peace between you and other people. If you have this uh, vertical between you and God, then you should have it horizontally. If you don't have it horizontally, if you still have animosity and anger, and if you still have all this for people around you, then you don't have this. And John says in 1 John, you deceive yourself. You deceive yourself. You think you're good. But if you're not, if this isn't good, you see, and the whole purpose of the church is to bring people in from all walks of life. And in walks of life, not, I'm not just talking about racial walks of life, but socioeconomical walks of life and professional lives of different types of, of, of places, from shopping carts to Cadillacs, whatever it takes. And, and we are to include everybody because we are a family. 
I almost busted out in that song. But <laughs> now you have it in your head. Now, now, but in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, when, when people are brought near in the Jewish community, Paul is, is, is very clever in using this because in the Jewish community, when a person wanted to uh, be a Jew, they had to go through this process, be circumcised and everything else. And then they would say, can I come near? That's, that's all they would say. Can I come near? And so the priest would say yes or no. It all depends. How much money do you have? It all depends. What can you do for us? It all depends. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I really want you in our circle. And so Paul is using this because of Jesus Christ's blood. You have been brought near. We don't need a high priest. We don't need to go to the temple. We don't need a mediator. Jesus Christ is our mediator. The veil was broken, was cut in two. It is said that that veil was nine inches thick. It was huge. And it was nine feet tall and, and, and this huge veil. It wasn't just a curtain. It was a dividing barrier that kept people out and God in. And it was a, a veil that, that was torn in two when Jesus Christ died and he hung his head and he gave up the spirit. It was made available to all of us. Colossians 1.21 and 22 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Can you imagine that? He's, what he's done for you, he is now able to present you holy and blameless. Those that have been regenerated, those that have been born again, those that have a new life in Christ, you are now being presented before God, holy and blameless. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll think, yeah, I'm nothing but. And if you're honest with yourself, you would say, because I'm, I'm not holy, I don't feel blameless, I'm going to strive to do what it takes to be what God's called me to be because Jesus Christ gave his blood for me. I'm going to strive to be a part of his body. I'm going to strive to do those things because of what I used to be, because of where I was at, because of what God said about me. I was hostile because of that. You see, Jesus Christ made it possible for him to present us to God, holy and blameless. And I'm nowhere holy and blameless in my own right, but I take the promise of Jesus Christ when he says, I can present you holy and blameless. And so in my life, I work out my salvation. I don't work for my salvation. I do what, I, what the Bible says. I do what God's word says. I follow. I lead. I, I preach. I witness. I talk. I study. I pray. I give. I serve in every capacity that I can. You see, right before this verse in Colossians, and when we get to Colossians, we'll see that Ephesians and Colossians are pretty much similar. And, and he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's made peace for you. My responsibility is to repent. Your responsibility, you're being held accountable, is to repent. That's not a suggestion. 
Jesus said, repent and believe. He didn't say get baptized. He didn't say go to church. He didn't say, uh, say a sinner's prayer. He said, no, no, repent and show your evidence. Show the fruit. Repent in, in accordance to the fruit, as John the Baptist would put in. Repent and live a life of repentance. Repentance, changing your mind. But it's more than that. It's, it's, it's yeah, changing my mind about things, but it's also changing the will and the life. I can change my mind about a lot of things and not change my will about certain things. Change my will, my life, and my actions. Let me ask you to stand. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, Paul is saying, you see, this is why we are now part of God's household. And how that all comes together, as Paul is explaining this to us, it's just amazing on when we start to think about who you are in the body of Christ. And if you belong to a body, if you belong to already an existing body, I pray and I ask you know, that you, you continue to serve there. But if you have not yet committed your, yourself to a body, then, then think about North Park. We're a growing body, and we, you know, we're going through growth spurts here and there, and because we've grown and shrunk and grown, and you know, I mean, we make mistakes, and we just want to serve and honor God, and we ask that you serve and honor God with us. Because that's what it's all about, honoring Him and serving Him. And in the process of serving God and honoring God, we serve one another, and we honor one another, and we help one another. And we're able to live out the one another's that Jesus Christ gave us. But most importantly is your life. What is your life centered on? Is it still on the flesh? Or are you now walking by the Spirit? Father in heaven, I know that each one of us have got a, a sordid past. We, we have a past that has taken us in so many different directions. And Lord, today I just pray that you bring it all together in our life. Bring it all together, Father, right now, right here. Bring it all together from everything and everyone that, uh, that is here and there's their collective history, the various places that each one of us has been through, whether it's been something physical or emotional or maybe even just something mental that we've been dealing with, uh, an, an issue that, that we just have not been able to surrender. And I pray that today, Lord, is the day of salvation, that we surrender it all to you. And Lord, we want to be truthful when we sing the song, I Surrender All. Because I know, for the most part, sometimes I only surrender some. And Lord, I pray that today the, the, the Holy Spirit just continue to, to, to just convict our life and our world of sin. Help us to convict us, Lord, of, of the things that we still hold on to, that we can let go and become even more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross to make us holy and pure. Make us holy and and acceptable. Help us to live that out. We are, we're already there. Help us to live it out now. Father, thank you for this hour, this time that we have to be able to share together, to sing together, to fellowship together. And Lord, I pray that you dismiss us from this place, but never from your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen and amen. All right, praise God. I hope you guys stick around for some uh, fellowshipping or shaping, as we say, next door. All right? Thank you.